Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. That's not my name. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 106, The Impossible Box, comes to you now via subspace relay through ComNet 4, Kryptonym. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, over on the USS Voyager, plans for a full-on in-depth documentary as that show uh, approaches its 25th anniversary. Definitely interested in checking that out after the really revealing uh, Deep Space Nine documentary and all the love and all the attention uh, lavished on that um, Voyager's going through something of a rebirth here, given the connections and makes sense being the, the furthest set and the, the last in that next generation era of uh, shows. And what with Seven of Nine and some at least one connection in this episode, uh, yeah, only makes sense. Well, with that, let's head to our mission briefing. Thunder rumbles and rain pounds on a window as a female child wearing the same familiar necklace we've seen on Dodge and Soji calls for her father in a hallway in the night. She enters a workshop where her father seems to be working on orchids before he discovers Soji and calls her name. Soji awakens on the artifact in bed with Narek who asks if she's all right. She complains of a weird recurrent dream. He wants to know all her secrets, though, as he hides his. She gets in some exposition about how Romulans have true names versus public names. Pete, that's set up for later. So Um, wait, a, a front door, a back door in this secretive society? It's with the names... And he probes as to whether her dreams are constructed or from real memories. And how about those calls from mom? Yes, interesting details paid off later on. Uh, She talks to her mother every night. And uh, perhaps there'd be some insight there. To the La Serena, where Dr. Gerardi calmly explains what happens what happened to Bruce Maddox to Picard who learned Soji is aboard the artifact and Elnor and his in budding and his out budding a wonderful flourish to this recap expositional scene. Indeed, Pete. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, the, the Elnor humor there to essentially a keep him in the scene in a scene in which he's not, needed but should be there and b this is a scene all about recap the artifacts of board cube it's not a cool board cube the sister is there picard's pensive used to be a board a borg all that that means including assimilation equals bad um and elnor underlining once picard walks out that agnes looks haunted by something she'd like to forget pete irony because elnor thinks it's in the past past and we know it's like in the last 12 hours when she killed the man she loved in his hollow study, Picard conducts a computer search and discovers Hugh's connection to the artifact 
before an image of his assimilated self covers his face, causing him to feel for his implants. Really an inspired moment there, using that see-through hollow image for great story effect. We hit the credits, and then after time, uh, afterwards, it is nighttime on La Serena. Rios is playing football, shirt off, sweaty, muscular, masculine. Agnes catches the ball, Pete, because shipping. I want you to know, Pete. Well, you know, Pete. How maybe off mic, I have not been the biggest Dr. Gerardi fan as the show started. But in these six episodes, Pete, my cold heart has been warmed. Uh, I'm a big Agnes fan, and I'm a big fan of what's about to happen here, starting with her saying, space can be cold and dangerous, and then she can tell him anything. And then they, they smooch Pete, because shipping, <laughs> yay. On a ship, no less, as they're moving uh, in the Beta Quadrant's former neutral zone. Uh, yes. Possibly, Matt, an a uh, an ESH, an emergency soccer hologram. We'll have to, or emergency football hologram, depending on which country your starship is is uh, moving through. But uh, I thought the yeah. S was going to be sensual, the emergency sensual uh, hologram, or a sexy probably, time. That's probably a different hologram. Uh, but offers her a drink here. Uh, trying to comfort her, asks about her relationship with Maddox. Like you said, it it turns physical instead, and she's never slept with a captain of anything before. Something that caused the the new Trek uh, pearl clutchers to wilt away. Seriously, I mean, even all the way because back to Kirk never slept with anything ever. I, I mean, that's insane. I think of, I believe it's Elan of Troyes, but it's one of those season three episodes where it's like, would you like to come for dinner? And the next scene is him sitting on the edge of a bed, putting his boot on. I mean, it's 1969. There's only so much you can show. He just used a toilet. I, I think that's how it was uh, explained away by the censors. <laughs> um, this was back when they still weren't allowed to show beds pushed together, right? <laughs> it might have been a little a little after that. But, uh, Pete, um, I was going to say snark aside, but it's no snark. I really, I really ship these two. But here's what I think this scene, as a Star Trek scene, really, really um, hits the center of the target of. And it's this. You could have any old just kind of romance scene where where in a complete consensual way, Rios is saying, you know, come on, baby. And, oh, I don't know if I should. All right, let's go. You know, again, 100% consensual. But the way this scene gets played where she's kind of – she's setting the pace, it's rare to see that on TV. Mm -hmm. um, and just the fact that he can see she's a little unsure and – He's continues to smolder, sweat off, sheen of sweat, etc. Clearly, this was written just with an eye towards everything that's going on these days. And just, hey, can we write a different kind of scene other than, uh, I, Rios, I'm the hotter of the two. Follow me. It A small thing, but a breath of fresh air for TV. Yeah, she talks about her useless superpower of sensing mistakes while she makes them uh, and says that she feels... Hollow, H-O-L-L-O-W, not H-O-L-O, but I thought an interesting use nonetheless. Hopeless, lonely, and afraid, and perhaps his companionship will help 
for a few hours. Indeed, she leading him to bed. Uh, on the uh, Borg cube, the Romulan sister, Pete, whom some call Narissa, but let's not forget, I am 99% sure that that has not been said it on is screen. Not, her name has not been uttered on screen. So, Pete, I would propose maybe if we want to colloquially start to call her Narissa so we don't constantly call her sister in an episode that's about another pair of sisters, just want to say maybe we slip into that. But if so, it's 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 between us and the Fantastic Geek family. It's not her official name. Um, but she's fiddling with a Romulan Rubik's Cube. Uh, Narek updates her on Soji dreaming. Why would she dream? What constructed purpose would that serve? Narek sees it as a way for her to reconcile the artificial brain's desire to be efficient and to work out the truth that she's not real. The bottom line, Pete, dreams reconcile the two sides and find harmony. And this is legitimate to human discussion and what they're projecting to what she pejoratively refers to as robot girl. He's taking a more heuristic approach, you know, talking about the subroutines and what the potential purpose is and everything else like that. His little cube there, cube inside a cube, the Tan Jakran, uh, it's all about taking time to understand what's keeping it closed. And just then he gets it to open up there with a little figurine raised. So uh, she okays the patient approach. Echoes of the previous scene in this scene. Really, really well written. Yes, and also sister, a.k.a. Nerissa, question mark, uh, really underlines the goal. The The goal is to find the location of uh, the home world of their these synthetics. home world. Indeed, their home world. Um, which I think, you know, Pete, there's some times where there's a little finger wagging, ahem, two scenes ago, where let's talk about Borgs, and Picard was a Borg, and the, the cube, and the, where we're headed, and all that. Um, I think the show has been intentionally vague on the exact plan of Narek and Narissa, and I, appre I appreciated here that it was just made totally clear we're playing, we are the cats playing with this mouse because we want to find out where the, the nest is. Uh, if mice have nests, I suppose you could say they do. Um, but I appreciated that just being made completely clear for their motivations. Um, Pete, it's all about the patients. Rios recaps that in a few hours, they'll be crossing the old neutral zone. Okay, so remember, this is not a thing anymore. And they'll be in Romulan space, putting them in violation of galactic treaty. But he's fine with that because he knows Picard is going to have a plan for how to get access to a restriction, restricted Romulan facility on a Borg cube crawling with Tal Shiar without authorization. Or dying. So now we have all the stakes laid out for this mission in this episode. What's the solution? Rafi gets pulled out of her stupor to call Starfleet headquarters. Uh, I'm using that in a general sense. I don't know that that's actually the case. But, you know, a captain in Starfleet, uh, her captain friend, who immediately sniffs out that Rafi is calling for the wrong reason. Ha ha, someone's going to the artifact. No way, no way. Uh, Rafi totally understands, although when they show up in uh, three hours, this could kind of lead to a galactic incident. Crossing that line sort of might be read as an act of war. Could be a mistake, but who would believe that Jean-Luc Picard 
uh, is there by accident. Certainly not the Romulans. Only those diplomatic credentials that you said no to, Captain Friend, will make the problem disappear. Uh, ultimately, JL's given the okay for 24 hours, and the captain on the line doesn't want to hear from Rafi again. Click. Yes, Emmy hanging up on her ex friend there i love this scene for what it provides and then the applause that breaks out on the bridge clearly evident that uh raffi has pulled off a minor miracle here um pete quick question for you emmy hanging up on raffi is that meant to be a metaphor for how the emmy awards have ignored (laughs) uh star trek discovery for two seasons it is now (laughs) it is now um, back to the artifact where Soji tells Narek she had that dream again last night and meant to ask her mom all about it, but she fell asleep while talking to her, something we had previously witnessed. Does that happen often? No, maybe, not sure. And then there's the news, of course, that on any Romulan facility, all incoming and outgoing transmissions are routinely monitored and any anomaly is flagged. He's told that each call to her mother lasts for exactly 70 seconds, every call, every day. I will show you the logs. I like how, again, there was this mystery in earlier episodes, you know, what is Narek's purpose, even amidst people complaining Uh, You know, all the cards are on the table. I think in retrospect, with the corners of mystery here and there, um, I think maybe the show has been transparent as to a lot of the character motivations. But here, it's increasingly clear, you know, we get it in this scene that uh, Narek is trying to push her into her own realization. I think we had dialogue to that effect in the last episode, and we certainly get more here. But to kind of see it in action, you realize that, you know, though Pete, we've chastised Narek for being young and unshaven and such a such a man's man. You know, it it's all being used for this greater purpose, this this duplicitous purpose. And again, the idea of agency a, a thing rather than push her into a red zone where she activates and closes off, and they won't be able to glean what they need to know the journey of self-discovery, the metaphor of dreams for that, this is really intelligently written. And yet another reason why people are, uh, you know, going to this show and those that choose to regard this as not Star Trek are morons. On La Serena, Rafi stumbles to bed, Rios tucking her in. No shenanigans, Pete. Uh, She admits to him as to the existence of her son. Uh, She passes out, and Rios notes that no one gets it all, a point I want to return to later. Uh, He takes the bottle and leaves. We head back to the cube where Soji's calling home. Mom, I never told you about that dream. Yawn. Boy, I'm tired. Maybe I'll hit my hand with the thing. But no. And she's asleep. Yeah. uh, So... Again, illustrating what was uh, exposed to us in the previous scene, uh, a phenomenon we had seen before, questioning the reality of what's on the other end of the hollow screen there. Back to La Serena, where we drop out of warp as Rios reads 
that Picard has been granted temporary credentials as the Federation's special envoy to the Borg Reclamation Project, valid for Admiral Picard and only him. Okay, so clear again, other people can't go. Not even his special protector that under no circumstances is to go unless there are circumstances in which he will violate to protect his sworn uh, what are we even going to call this, uh, you know, uh, knight in, in Picard. Um, and the layering of Picard's post-traumatic stress with the flashbacks, both of his assimilation from the next generation, the reimagined versions of that, and some quick clips from First Contact as well. Uh, so again, so smartly layered to give you all the reasons to know, as you said before, simply to, to speak in the language of the trolls, Matt, assimilation bad. Pete Soji awakens. That was strange. She rifles through her things, finding keepsakes and knickknacks and doodads. Indeed, Pete, a doodad scanner that can tell you how old something is. Boom. This is 37 months old. Boom. This is 37 months old. Pete, everything is 37 months old. As we head to Picard, who beams in alone, uh, has a little bit of a panic attack there. Completely understandable. Uh, maybe less understandable is the fact that he wanders towards that bridge. Uh, but luckily, he's saved by drones that don't want him to fall. Uh, and we get the reuniting with Hugh who uh, warmly embraces him. They're happy to see each other. And uh, they take a walk to see the project's slow reclamation work. The hug was actually not scripted. Come to learn that from Jonathan Del Arco on Twitter. Um, and uh, Patrick Stewart actually suggested to him, hey, I'd like to hug you, carry across the warmness of the scene. And... You know, the warmth comes immediately through uh, on our TVs and devices there. So that's how performance works. Boom, there you go. We also learned that Hugh is a Federation citizen and can leave at any time. I wonder if that's a, you know, a, a Chekhov's gun for later. You know, either I want to leave or no, bang, bang, bang. I'm supposed to be allowed to leave. Um, Picard remains shaken, but... Highlights the task here. Find Dr. Soji Asha. We must get to her. Pete, the story then goes to Soji in her quarters. See what they did there? Sharing the oddness of all these fabricated things. Pete, she shares it with Narek. What do you know? There is a Romulan form of meditation, the Jalmak, that could potentially unlock latent memories and help to guide her. So... Again, that gentle awakening rather than the forceful activation. Uh, rather than a forceful awakening, Pete? Force awaken? Oh my goodness, Kurtzman has taken over everything and all the the bad robot, bo baddest robot, or whatever those people. Secret, secret hideout? No, they're all. it's all secretly still JJ. JJ is everywhere. Didn't you see it on Reddit, Pete? It's all JJ. I believe it was on 4chan where <laughs> they've convinced these morons 
of greater theories. Isn't Kurtzman behind the coronavirus? <laughs> um, yes, because he wants to shine lights in their eyes. Picard and Hugh look over all those recovering from reclamation. Hugh wants to show everyone that the Borg drones are uh, victims, not monsters. Still, Hugh notes, the XBs are not free. They've traded the Borg Queen for a Romulan one. If only the great Picard could intercede. Uh, which, again, interesting threads. Is this setting up something in the future? I'm not sure, but certainly an interesting point. Yeah, and obviously resonance in our times in terms of the victimhood and people needing help rather than fear taking hold. To Rafi, who is given some coffee here by uh, Rios, and uh, the discussion here of what the Tal Shiar might need from a synth. I think this, too, is an interesting scene. Um, yes, maybe it's doing uh, a double-barreled shotgun approach uh, because we have gotten and will get more of this underlining of you know, why Narek and Nerissa are, uh, are, are playing with Soji as they are. Um, but this notion that you know, Soji's being kept alive even though Dodge and Maddox have been killed. What do they need her for? What do they need her for? It gets repeated again. Uh, we're going to get an answer in a little bit. But first, Pete, Narek and Soji, they go to that meditation room. She removes her boots. The meditation is part walking, part mind searching. I don't know if this has a base in uh real world uh you know in a real world practice of some degree i'll tell you what the effect is for tv the effect for tv is we don't have two people sitting on a pillow going all right search your mind and the actress has her eyes closed but their eyeballs are moving underneath as she kind of like you get the physicality of i'm walking in the meditation room i'm walking in father's workshop and it's just visually it makes so much sense and the secretive nature of their society, having this type of private Romulan-only meditation room aboard this alien ship, the, the furthering of connections there, this Jean-Marc meditation, and gaining the trust of Narek to learn that true name he only shares with someone he loves— Furthering that connection there, Hraryan, is uh, Narek's true Romulan name. I would say true, or allegedly true Romulan name, because of course he's sharing this because they're truly, 100%, totally in private, later in the scene revealed to be being watched by Nerissa, uh, and I can only suspect that, uh, not even only suspect, I, I, she's, on the, she's on the communicator later uh, with Narek, so he knows he's being watched. Um, but the journey, this meditative journey, starts with the closing of eyes, Soji walking through her dream, focusing on details. There's the hallway, the young uh, Soji holding a doll. Um, Squoogee, man, come on. Squoogee, still has Squoogee, probable Pete. age, 37 months. Oh my goodness, Pete, not only did evil Bob Iger prevent angry Twitter people from having their, uh, the Mandalorian, the child, Baby Yoda, toys immediately. Side note, there's somebody on Twitter who um, 
we follow, if they follow back, I'm not sure if they're a listener to this podcast, but they are legitimately still angry over that. But now, Pete, Star Trek won't give me my squoogee. I wanted to watch the episode on Thursday or Friday and Amazon it and have it here Sunday morning, and they haven't. Ah, nerd rage for toys. This is why Etsy exists. Uh, back to Dr. Ash's quarters where Hugh shows Picard. They're looking for her. It's torn apart, as is that formerly framed picture of Dodge and Soji. And it's subtle and faint, but you could still make it out. There's an announcement in the background about an uptick in chroniton particles much discuss when we look at theories later on. You know, it's funny, Pete. I saw that on the subtitles, and then only later it was like, wait a minute, that was a thing there. Uh, But back to the memory walk, Narek tells uh, her to keep moving in the room, in the dream too. She can't see Papa's face, what's behind the orchids. We see it's a wooden doll of sorts, a doll of her. But what's above her? Uh, there's two red moons and lightning. So much lightning. Narek's sister is going to search for a planet with those items. Pete, apparently, uh, at least the uh, the Romulan technology here on the board cube is kind of like Battlestar Galactica in that things are not interconnected. One would think that you could have one window open, which is watch your brother with the evil robot, and then just simply open another window and type into Google planet with two <laughs> red moons and lightning. But she needs to step away. I get it. It's dramatic effect. Um, with that, Pete Soji is brought out of the meditation. But why was she on a workbench? Uh, Pete Nara kisses her. I'm sure it's only going to be good news. Yeah. And then tearfully closes the door as the Romulan box continues to tick down here, ultimately opening in some kind of red gas, later revealed to be radiation, filling the room Soji doubling over here before she kicks into her program and starts to tear up the floor. Pete, red radiation, Star Trek Discovery, red angel, J.J. Abrams, Star Trek 09, red matter, okay, proof that J.J. Abrams actually is on set every day, ruining the lives of everyone. Red states? Red, oh, Pete, this... The, Clearly, if your tinfoil hat is big enough, the through lines are obvious. <laughs> um, what I like about Soji, you know, smashing through the floor to escape is it is this logical outcome of her activating to some degree. I think we, the audience, are meant to still be a little vague on what what's that line for activation? What is full activation? At a certain point, you go, you know, bleep, boop, bloop, robot online. Um, but her smashing through the wood floor, smashing through the decking below. And of course, neither Narek nor the guard can go in because the radiation would get them, which is kind of the perfect, it's this perfectly written thing of convenience where it's true. They can't go in. It's bad radiation. Right. It prevents them from stopping what she's doing has a, uh, a point in the plotting of the episode Meanwhile, uh, Picard and Hugh uh, tracking her. Wait a minute. She wasn't visible. Now this is not working. She's between levels and they can pinpoint her location and meet her when she pops through the ceiling. 
Uh, indeed, they do just that. Luckily, Pete, Picard has kept that uh, MacGuffin of Dodge's necklace. Maybe MacGuffin is a bit strong, but look, he's been hanging on to this so that it could be his immediate street cred, trust me, uh, come with me if you want to live, that sort of thing. Uh, she does, and she does. Hugh leads them through secret corridors and passageways. Quick cut to La Serena. There's trouble as Elnor looks on, but back to the cube as the trio enters the queen cell, and Hugh starts to fire up some new tech. Pete, where did that new tech come from, that spatial trajector? That was acquired from the assimilation of the Sicarians. And uh, that's an adventure. Is, Is that not a reference to another Star Trek adventure, Pete? Of course, Matt. Star Trek Voyager in the episode Prime Factors? Indeed, that's the one knew that memory was working there um we get some techity tech talk it's going to transport them up to forty thousand light years this was meant to be kind of an exit strategy for the queen uh picard is headed to nepenthe and uh asks rios to meet him there no problem wait wait where's elnor where's the kid the kid is aboard the cube you know where he wasn't supposed to go he takes out three Romulan, Talshiar, Jatvash people like a warm knife through butter. Picard is really angry that he's there, but really glad that he defied the orders and he's going to defend him. Indeed, he is. Defend him to the point that Elnor will not be stepping through the trajector because Pete, it needs a little time to warm up. Also dramatic effect. Um, Elnor says he's going to stay. He's released from his bonds. No come with us. It makes him so happy that Picard wants to not leave him behind again. But Elnor is going to stay. Uh, El- El- uh, pardon me. Picard and Soji step through and are gone. And uh, Hugh does need those extra couple minutes to now power everything down. Um, and unseen, we hear Elnor say to oncoming guards, please, my friends, choose to live to end the episode. Pete, even as Romulan guards run towards us, we have this threat analysis coming in. Let's start with Narek. Yeah, to go with the intelligent, back-based approach to a threat rather than the reactionary, we have the thing, we should just do what we want, uh, that his sister says that they should go through and is later convinced through science to use. Yeah, I mean, this is an episode that I think highlights their pairing in a really, uh, in a way that affirms how they've been used in the story thus far. Uh, I, I think that in prior episodes it was like, hey, we kind of dig Narek, even though he's the bad spy, he's the bad sexy spy, and the sister is in opposition to him, so I, I like her less. Whereas you really see, Pete, I was going to say they have teamwork. I, I think we're all a little concerned about how deep that teamwork goes. <laughs> um, but on the Romulan intelligence operative sense, uh, you sense that you know she's putting pressure on him to hurry things up. He's putting pressure on her to continue this investigation. And the outcome is a wonderful one. And where, again, it's intelligently written, it's not the mustache twirling type of villainy He's clearly forged a connection with 
Soji. He's emotional uh, at the prospects of having to terminate her with the radiation now that he's gained what he needs to, the location, these blood-red moons and electrical storms. That'll be easy to find. Um, and, And ready to cut ties and that this part of the story having been told that she can escape that Picard can uh, move with her to protect her somewhere else. I do wonder if maybe her stepping away from the, the, the viewing there, you know, does that then, does that lead to a story opportunity for next time in terms of where she'll, where she'll appear relative to him? Bottom line is these are two really compelling characters and it's only in reflecting on them for the episode that there's kind of this moment of, oh, they are it. They are the bad guys for this episode. Uh, but I don't think it's, you know, it's not for lack of larger stakes, if you will, that uh, that we have them propelling things. With his sister, Peyton List has really brought a level of menace. Yes, as we've indicated, there's the, the creepy seeming relationship that this brother and sister, maybe biological, maybe not, seem to have. Uh, but the the menace and the, the surveillance aspect of it here, okay, here's the brother that she has grabbed on the chin and been super close to physically when talking about secret plans, and now watching him with the other woman here, the robot girl, the it that she continually refocuses him on she's not a real girl i'm a real girl oh my oh my oh my let's set those long-range sensors ahead to talk some theories pete I know sometimes we have a bit of fun or a bit of finger wagging with some of the, uh, the the pearl clutching, as you called it earlier. But serious question here. You know, I saw a discussion online. Uh, I can't believe that in the 24th century you have somebody living as addled a life as Rafi. You know, drunk, uh, smoking the snake weed, etc. Um, and, and, you know, this is not the perfection that we looked for, or is this a commentary that, that, you know, Star Trek is the Star Trek times are completely unattainable. How about this in this world of plenty that they have in this world of freedom that they have, does Raffi have a right to drink herself to death? As she says, is it true as Rio says that no one gets it all and she's allowed to do this? Huh? In a, in a world, in an idyllic future where they have Synthahall, yet Picard lives on a vineyard that uh, grows grapes that ultimately become non-Synthahall wine. Uh, to live in a world where there's a Borg cube that has a, uh, a bar slash restaurant where they drink Romulan ale in bottles not presumably replicated through uh, Borg replicators or Romulan replicators on a Borg ship um, to acknowledge that addiction is a disease, which is the enlightened view rather than addiction is what weak people go through. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, there's something affirming about the notion that 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 she's free to have this broken existence if that's what she wants to do. Certainly one thinks, you know, in our modern times, uh, you know, but Rafi, if you end up in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. Well, they don't have insurance worries in the future. There's not, there, there's not all that. It's kind of like, you know, the ultimate freedom is to live how you want to live. And there she is hanging out in her, you know, in, in her uh, little, you know, space hovel there on Earth, you know, not hurting anybody. Um Clearly, she has hurt the people around her in the past, and she's given them distance, and now she's paying the price, and that the son does not want to reconnect. She's living her truth, painful as it might be. I can only imagine, you know, it's super easy for her to get the help if she wants it, but if she doesn't want it, then she's living her truth. And what had happened in the previous episode, she went through her own trauma, uh, bringing her back to this lower point she had quit cold turkey she meets up with her son her son is having a child with a romulan woman uh she's gonna have a granddaughter can't have that connection because the son rejects her out of her earlier abuse and what does it do it forces her back to her old habits so this is a way again within storytelling to deal with metaphor to deal with real world issues that are only as old as time to tell a story a bit more centered on this episode pete elnor apparently prepared to sacrifice himself now of course we could go back to a hugh and elnor uh b plot in future episodes but we of course tend to stick with Picard. We tend to stick with La Serena as well, both of which are headed to Nepenthe, one immediately, one via, you know, Warp Factor 9. How much more Elnor and Hugh can we get on the cube? Well, if only there was a way to send Elnor up to 40,000 light years. Yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, I don't quite buy it. I I buy it, but I don't buy it that you couldn't send Elnor and Elnor needs to stay so Hugh can power things down. But can't Hugh power things down while on the run or keeping the secret door closed or again, it, I both well, you've fully... got to provide a way for Narek and the sister to somehow gain where they went. So leaving behind Hugh alone is a silly story choice had they chosen to do that because they'd interrogate him and then they'd kill him. He's got the Romulan protector here, uh, somebody who has his ethnic roots in those of the people who are maintaining this cube, somebody who can defend himself and defend others, and somebody potentially that will come of use of the Jat Vash and or the Tal Shiar. Pete, you have turned me around to accept the story decisions fully. Uh, Picard and Soji going to Nepenthe. Rora Penthe has a Penthe. Been brought up. Is this potentially in Klingon space? I mean, let's be honest. And, you know, all right, so Matt doesn't watch the previews and everything else, but we've got episodes seven, eight, nine, and 10 still out there. Where is my Will Riker? Where's my Deanna Troy? Uh, where is hopefully their daughter that uh, is either going to be named Majel or Luwaxana? Um, 
haven't shown up yet. I mean, they got to be on Nepenthe too, possibly in Klingon space. Any other Klingons out there we have any kind of connection with that might have a connection with uh, these former Enterprise crewmates? Really interesting. Yeah, I think tons of potential. I'm reminded of the notion that there were former Star Trek cast members on the last day of shooting uh, this season, including Michael Dorn. But then CBS quick to say, sometimes there were family and friends and weren't necessarily people there who were filming that day. Um, Which, you know, is that the truth? Or is that, you know, uh, hey, you know how... um, you know how that one guy was going to play uh, a Klingon in Discovery? Well, he's not playing a Klingon anymore. He's totally not playing a Klingon. He's playing a human guy, and uh, and there's not a story twist there. So who knows? I mean, we both we both want that nostalgic, you know, bridge crew returns, and we also want to not turn this into a nostalgia journey completely. Uh, time will tell. Got to be earned, and I think we're lining it up in a situation where it may be, and. Okay, so a network, uh, a production company, etc., would choose to misdirect because you know their scenes filmed in a national park that's a public place that they can't close off. And why is this actor here? Oh no, no, he's not on the show. Uh, they were nearby, kind of a mini reunion. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. People who have read the novel tie-in are buzzing about a possible connection i'm looking forward to checking that out uh we'll see if it's between now and the end of the season uh but uh i don't know we'll see pete what other theories do you have so elnor would seem to be with the moat kawat way um uh or milat kalat I, I, the pronunciation is difficult milat kawat right there you go perfect <laughs> uh way uh, he would seem to be on to Jurati. Um, yes, I think the problem is he lacks the social skills to be reading to be reading her troubles. He just kind of notes them. He can't contextualize them as, ooh, this is the awkward morning after, or ooh, your grief looks uh, recent. Uh, not the grief in Sleeping with Rios, uh, rather the, 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 the guilt in killing her former lava. Uh, in Bruce Maddox, but you know, I think he doesn't know where to where to contextualize these things. It will be interesting to see if in future episodes is that used as a story tool, or at least as it's used in this episode, is it kind of humor meant to lighten the scene and also an excuse to kind of give him lines because he can't give me an update on the engines, on navigation, on the medical situation, on the historical situation, the diplomatic situation. Got to give him something and something can be in budding. You were asking before about the reasons to leave Elnor aboard the Borg cube. And I talked about the the story points. I'm going to project a little bit in terms of that. We're told by Hugh there's, Still a Borg queen, obviously their connection to the collective having been uh, severed. The queen cell, a a new phenomenon we've never seen aboard a Borg ship. But again, uh, you know, you think of the places we've never been and the understanding of their technology always mysterious. 
but now a Romulan queen, Matt. And is it metaphor or is it actuality? And if only there was a female character uh, who could be leading the Romulan star empire post, uh, you know, exodus from their uh, coordinates, given the supernova. And could it be Sela? That I know we discussed the possible return of Sela as a as a far out theory in prior podcasts. Now that we've named a Romulan queen, I mean, <laughs> well, first of all, if it is literal and it it comes off as literal, but if it is such, I mean, you've now excluded all potential, you know, Romulan males that we've ever seen. I mean, it does seem deliciously close. Uh, and it would be awful fitting, you know, to to get. I don't want to quite say the, the the black sheep of the Star Trek family, but you know, D- Denise Crosby left early, as people know, regretted it, hence uh, leading to some wonderful uh, opportunities for her to return. I mean, yesterday's Enterprise, a great story. Then now this branch existence, and she gets to play the daughter, Sela, a whole nine yards. Um, to me, the question is this, with us now having a mere four episodes left, is that something that gets paid off this season, or is it something that gets saved for a, a, a future season? Obviously, they didn't have the official renewal while making this episode, but we do increasingly reach a point where if they want to do universe building or setting up for next season, and if they want to do so in a way that's not you know, a post-credit scene at the end of episode 110, you can start to lay a little of that in now. So a year from now, you go, oh my goodness, she's back. And the orphan parentage of Elnor, and again, left behind a possibility that that bears further story fruit. Yeah, I mean, what's great about all of these characters is there's tons of potential for those twists and turns. And there's your biggest difference in Star Trek now versus Star Trek in the nineties and two thousands, let alone not, you know, not even earlier is we are kind of wired to have these shows give you twists and turns. And we're wired to kind of play with the show and say, well, is this evidence? Is that evidence? We need to kind of keep an eye out versus, you know, as wonderful as the older model was just the notion of, and we reset at the end it doesn't work and the people who right. or it doesn't work anymore and the people who wish for it all right but what are your favorite star trek episodes um the one in which uh picard's turned into a borg and that there's an after effect okay well that's a continuing story serial uh, you know this era of storytelling that we're in as far as tv is concerned you know i've referred to it as this platinum age we have over 500 scripted offerings for the first time in history and obviously the evolution you can't have that episodic model anymore you know a lot of tv historians point to er and the way that it revolutionized story it's not the first time that star trek has dipped into this enterprise done in that current er uh, era adopting that story focus, a lot of discussion about how that had changed TV. So again, these people who just, uh, you know, tear their hair out and gnash their teeth over, this is not Gene's Trek. That wasn't 
done with Gene Roddenberry alive. It's a natural evolution. People have warmed to Voyager and Enterprise. I mean, the love that we've seen languished on Voyager with these callbacks in recent weeks, uh, you know, helping people to understand that all Trek matters. Well said, Pete. What other theories are on your radar? So I mentioned the deep cut before when it came to uh, a Voyager reference, not the spatial projector technology, but the lunchbox that uh, Soji keeps some of her keepsakes in, an Adventure of Flotter uh, lunchbox. That, of course, a popular holo program that uh, Naomi Wildman had used aboard Voyager and a connection to the rest of the universe here. Yeah, nice little detail, you know, proof that the people making the show, whether it's the writer of this episode or somebody along the way in the production, uh, really is working to make those connections in authentic ways. On the one hand, it's fan service. On the other hand, it's just acknowledging the larger the larger reality of the Star Trek universe and uh, a nice touch. The reference to the location of their home world, the there being vague, the audience may, of course, posit that. Well, Dodge, Soji, we had the reference to the five queens in the hand in the first scene of the season. We have the Borg, the Borg have a queen, the Jatvash, the idea that they've rejected all synthetics, synthetic technology, the positing of theories. Is this somehow the secret origin of the Borg? Thousands upon thousands of years, this Jatvash is believed to have existed. Are we going to find the Borg homeworld, this planet with two blood red moons and electrical outbursts i think perhaps not i think that we had it so clearly uh underlined in the first episode this romulan hate of uh, of synthetic life and synthetic uh, operations you know they barely have an ai you know computer system things of that sort which at the time it was like really that's what made them blow up a girl i don't quite get it but if there is this if there is this idea that there's a planet where there's all of these, not just, you know, white gold skinned clear uh, robots like data, but now we're going to have, have them, you know, where you, where you can't tell the difference and there's matters of, of purity as the Romulans see them. And there's that threat there for more of their kind. To me, that makes sense in a way where I don't know. I, I, I would be okay not getting the future past origins of the Borg and kind of we're on the cube. That's well and good. We're revisiting Hugh. That's well and good. We're circling back to Picard's PTSD. That's all well and good. To me, this doesn't also need to be the Borg origin story. Let's keep things in the realm of the new. Well, we have at least one listener with a theory about the planet. Well, I say with that, Pete, let's get to hailing frequencies. Healing frequencies open, sir. Let us start, as we always do, with our Twitter poll, particularly Pete on the heels of 
a, a softer split between the top, uh, you know, the, the the four stars and the three stars. So for this week's episode, uh, one star, Don't Call Again, got 3.6%. Two stars, Red Radiation, got 0%. Three stars, Bedtime Powers, Wink, got 3.6%. And four stars, Diplomatic Cred, 92.9%. Uh, this uh, this poll shooting uh, Picard up to the highest heights again. Who is giving the one star review? I mean, come on. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I, I don't know that I loved this episode on first viewing. I mean, I liked it very much. If I had to give a three or a four, I'd probably lean towards a four. If I could give partial credit, you know, three point five. Th- this was not a one by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we also got some tweets in response to the poll. First one from James Killen. Uh, pardon me, James. It's at Big Killen. Need to rewatch it, but I loved every second. Found it interesting that a Borg queen needs a newly discovered means of escape. Kind of three-dimensional. Something clearly different about the Borg in this decade. Pete, I would respond to that by saying, I, I don't disagree, but I think there's a little... There's the story explanation of, oh, they got this toy from a, right. a civilization that they assimilated... And they kind of had it ready to use if ever they needed it. Right. It's a trap door. Yeah. Uh, a couple more tweets here. First one. Uh, in fact, Pete, a conversation between Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo in 1983, and J.T. Atkins. Uh, Andre says, Rafi still has juice with the Federation. Totally surprise. Total surprise. And Soji has been activated. Also, please tell me Elnor survived. Can't wait for next week. JT says Elnor didn't seem worried, and Andre notes he's also young and naive. Not a good combination. <laughs> um, a separate tweet from JT Atkins. That's at JTA's me. Love the full circle of Picard treating Hugh with dignity, ultimately in TNG, then Hugh having such joy in seeing him and being willing to risk everything in seeing him to safety. Also really loved Rafi's negotiation skills. Fun. Uh, and then the last tweet here from Tom Lond, that's at Tom Lond, L-O-N-D-E. Uh, I've loved the series so far, but I was very glad to finally see the main plot moving forward. Five episodes of setup is easier to sit through when you're not having to wait a week between every episode. Ha ha. Pete, what do you have on your end? To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page we go, Matt, where Robert T. Frost writes in Star Trek Picard Thank goodness for episode 106. I didn't get a chance to write about my disappointment in last week's show. Overall, I give episode 105, Pimps and Pirates, a one and a half phony eye patches out of four. I found the episode to be ridiculous, obnoxious, and tedious, along with slow and predictable. The shining moment was Picard's conversation with Seven of Nine about regaining their lost humanity. In fact, after the show ended and I had started to jot down some notes, it dawned on me that we didn't see anything about Soji and Eric, and I realized I didn't miss it. A little consideration later, I discovered a more worrisome conclusion. I didn't care. For as much as I had developed some concern over Dodge in episode 101, I found I had invested very little in Soji and even less so in Narek. As for Narissa and Narek's semi-incestuous relationship, the sooner that is jettisoned out of the nearest airlock, the better. 
And then we get episode 106, and it's everything I could hope for in this show. We find that Picard's personal trauma at being assimilated is hardly healed at all, and it's lurking just under his conscious thought waiting to erupt. We see Dr. Girardi's betrayal tormenting her almost to distraction, so she needs to find a way to be distracted, and Soji is finally beginning to realize who and what she is. But best of all, we have the show turning something that was commonly accepted, the Borg as villains, into something unexpected, the Borg as victims. And that new view, that distillation through a prism, that fractured reflection is when Star Trek is at its best, and this episode delivered in spades. The show started strong, but for me at least, it has been slipping. But I'm not sure why. Does it need action? No, we have that. Drama? We have that too. Plot twists? Got them. So I can't quite put my finger on what the or my problem is. One thing I did notice, though, the episodes have been in the 42 to 45 minute range, uh, except for episode 106 being 54 minutes. Maybe 10 to 14 minutes more of plot slash character development is what is needed. Thoughts. Till next time, your friend Bob, he did follow up, and I referenced a theory before. P.S. My left field prediction. The mystery planet with two red moons is Exo 3 from the original series, episode 107, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Where Roger Corby discovered a lost civilization that could create nearly perfect androids. Ooh, I really like that as an right? idea. Um, I mean, that would that would be the ultimate, maybe not the ultimate callback, but that would be one heck of a callback to go back to season one of uh, of Classic Trek. Here's what's interesting about Bob's email. I disagree with his assessment of the ingredients, which is to say last week's episode, you know, fun bit of business where they dress up and they they the characters play characters. Yes, it's ridiculous, but that's a piece of the action. That's every holodeck episode. That's every time in the next generation uh, or, or Voyager, but particularly next generation. Oh no, we have another holodeck malfunction and we can't unplug this thing. There's no way because it's tied into the bleeps and the bloops. There's no way to physically go and turn it off until we work our way out plot wise. You know, there is always, there is built into Star Trek those ridiculous episodes. So I kind of disagree there. And I, I, the, the notion of not enough action or too much, or what's the balance there, you know, actually I might be agreeing here with Bob that, that it's hitting the action, uh, amount perfectly, but here's where I'm agreeing with Bob, Pete. I felt that this episode, there, there was nothing wrong with this episode, but it somehow left me wanting for something slightly different. And I'm not, that's not a complaint against the show, but I do feel like, again, I like all the ingredients. I think in the in the baking process, there's something that I want that's a little different than this. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what it is because I like the long-form storytelling. We've seen it in Discovery to great effect. Um, so I, I, I'm left agreeing and disagreeing with Bob. Well, 
it's funny. You could actually have this conversation, though, and nobody needed to call anybody a name. Nobody needed to freak out that this is not Star Trek, the, the name that it is named, uh, not continuing with characters we know, new characters we've just met that in some way are reminiscent of the archetypes that we've had, I don't know, low for 54 years of Star Trek. Um, you can disagree with the thing and still uh, watch it and still have your mind changed by it. And that's what Bob's email underscores. To the email we go, uh, at least at fantasticgeek at gmail.com, an email from Will. Have you seen the you had one job memes? They feature mistakes made by people with a very simple task, i.e. a package labeled uh, apples is filled with oranges. The producers of Discovery, now Picard, have failed at a very simple concept. Show us humanity's future, one fraught with adventure, discovery, peril, danger, but ultimately hope. Hope that our race could put aside greed, war, racism, prejudice, and hatred. Show us humans overcoming the worst aspects of our nature. With Picard, we get profanity, graphic human dissection, and humans no better than the ones running our federal government. Is this realistic? Yes. But that's not the human adventure Trek promised us over four decades ago. Artists don't want to hear it. They are infatuated with pushing the envelope. But restrictions can benefit them. They're forced to see uh, to use euphemisms or can't show certain acts. They have to be creative and clever. Without censors, Star Trek is losing that. It's no longer the smart space franchise. Are the stewards of Gene Roddenberry's legacy beholden to continue it? To an extent. Admittedly, I don't own Star Trek. But I've had enough of new executive producers deconstructing intellectual properties while taking no creative risk and ultimately riding the coattails of far superior creators. R.I.P. Star Trek. No creative risks like bringing the Borg in and using the evolution of a species that uh, steals technology from other places, adding that wrinkle to it, sending characters up to 40,000 light years away, meanwhile leaving other characters behind in this mystery that we're seeking to solve, where did Dodge and Soji come from? What are they trying to uh, unveil about the ban on synthetics. I don't think you fully understand the story being told here. It both at the same time, and you listen to the producers talk when they speak about this, how reverent they are for canon. I mean, we had a flotter callback in this episode, Matt. If there's anything that's among the silliest parts of Voyager, it's the kid in the holodeck stories but we had a callback to that in this episode and also projecting characters 40,000 light years away uh, a metaphor for this story I'm sorry you don't like the show the character we got back after uh, 18 years suspecting we'd never see him again Pete, do you remember the Star Trek movie where Kirk is racist against Klingons because racism exists? You know, I think that what 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 Picard as a series has done is to very quickly get us off the paradise that is Earth, where these problems have been solved by and large, to get us away from the core of the Federation where one can assume there's general harmony and and there are no Romulans only signs. 
uh, on Federation worlds because that's uh, antithetical to the values and probably you know uh, against the law by virtue of the Federation Constitution, that sort of thing. Um, we have that paradise, uh, I will say in past tense, even though it's the future. Uh, we have that paradise because we've worked at it and we've educated ourselves, etc. But go outside that ring of education and that ring of of society where we've agreed to those rules and yes the old rules are always going to still apply um and i think therein lies the rub that if we don't keep working on ourselves the difference between romulan sibling sexy time uh while everybody's a spy and nobody can trust anybody uh and you know the enlightened you know i wake up in my vineyard it's 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 an ongoing process to get there, and we're we're not that far away from descending into our our worst selves. Pete, moving on, an email from Paula who says, "Good morning, guys. It's Thursday once again." By the way, Pete, she sent this uh, at eight fifty six a.m. on Thursday, so she uh, with Star Trek thoughts right out of bed here. Pete, how was episode six? You thought it saw it at three a.m. Right. I get such a kick out of your enthusiasm for the show. I only wish you had some magical pixie dust you could sprinkle over fandom so that a bigger percentage would appreciate Picard. It's a darn nice show with a very interesting cast. A little heavy on the exposition. I'll agree with, uh, with you on that, Matt, but it doesn't bother me as much as it does you. I have filled up half a notebook with backstory and info wow. from half a season. I only hope I've got enough space left for what's to come. We're all very aware of the objections to Picard focus on swearing and violence, along with the other rather specious arguments that you two are <laughs> so good at mocking. Uh, and yes, I think that's the right word. They should be mocked because they are nonsensical. Even though I don't normally cotton to the F word and torture, I wasn't bothered by their judicious use in Picard. I think that these are just straw men for the haters. There's something else behind the Picard hate, and I think that every, uh, everything has to do with the Variety interview. I won't elaborate, but I think you can guess what I'm getting at. Uh, Pete, I think that is uh, Patrick Stewart talking to Variety about uh, Brexit and other political issues. But back to Paula's email. I will lob one complaint about inappropriate word use. Dude struck me as totally anachronistic, modern slang that will not persist 200 years into the future. And a word uh, that does not exist, geniuses, was used to describe the splicing of orchids by Dodge's father. Virtually everything she said about her father's work was laughably wrong. He wouldn't have been able to pass Biology 101, much less <laughs> perform intricate experiments, if that was his understanding of orchid taxonomy. Ah, well, the science suffers, but no one notices. So it goes. A suggestion. Experiment with some time and mute the sound. You'll be amazed at what your eye will pick up that it didn't when you were listening. The mind's ear directs the eye in significant ways. Have a good day. Pete, that from Paula. Paula, really smart uh, email there, and thank you for the the compliment about the enthusiasm. But I don't think I have to sprinkle the pixie dust. We can see empirically. So this is one of the most buzzed about shows of the year, uh, particularly in a streaming sense. I mean, it is butting heads on a weekly basis with some of the big boys like Stranger Things and The Mandalorian. Um, you know, just from our Apple podcast feed alone to look at the metrics there, uh, the amount of comments that we're receiving on a far greater pace than Discovery and Discovery had done a lot for Star Trek. So I, I think the excitement is there, uh, as with 
things that draw attention. There's some negative attention as well, particularly in these polarizing times we live in. Well, Pete, take us to the Apple Podcast review that we have. We have a review here by Just Legal. The headline is a great pod, five stars, and it reads simply, undoubtedly, the oysters, clams, and cockles of the Star Trek universe. So that is a reference, Matt, to a Game of Thrones podcast, one that is super, super listened to and respected. So thank you, Just Legal, for the tremendous compliment. We certainly try to approach every episode with our thinking caps on and our minds open and uh, to, to, to earn the respect of the listeners and to earn, to earn those rank pips. Pete, speaking of ranks, it is now time for the one, the only, Admiral Fred from the Netherlands to share his thoughts. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 6. I give this episode a 9 out of 10. A really, really good episode. It really brought the story forward and the search for Soji is finished, or at least Picard found Soji. She is more or less aware of her situation. Very nicely filmed that how she realized that something is really wrong. Scanning all her stuff and everything is 37 months old. I think this is a big difference with Dash. Because Dash never knew in that sense that she was an android. She did know that there was something strange with her. But that she was an android. A synth. I don't think so. Or did I miss something there? Or even worse, forgot. So this surely will make Soji's story quite different from Dash's story. And I was right to pick up all these pictures that were standing everywhere that they could play a big role. And that is what happened in this episode. One of the best scenes I found how the half high, half drunk Raffi was able to play her old friend Captain Emmy. Really, really nicely done by her and everybody around her is watching that says nothing and you feel the tension and she plays it very well and uh, not in the sense of acting yet yeah, that was also good but how she manipulated this woman into giving them this official letter of credence what i found very strange is at the end that elnor did not go with soji and picard and stayed there to giving him the possibility to leave the only thing if, if this whole thing that the Borg Queen arranged, this secret spatial trajectory, if that had to be hidden again, and if they all would leave, the other ones would discover it, the same exit way and they would follow or something like that. And that's the whole reason he remained there and you could hide that trajectory in time. Another question, of course, is how did you news about such very secret exit way for the Borg Queen. What is so special about you that he knew this? I still like the interaction between Narissa and Narek. The teasing there and the tension there. It's, it's, it's appealing somehow without being too weird here. But nevertheless, I wonder how Narissa and Narek will stay in the story. Well, for, for Narek it's more easy, probably. 
and I wonder if he will feel some remorse, got too emotionally attached to it, as his sister says. I wonder what will happen there, and I wonder if Nerissa will still play a role in future episodes, or she's out from now on. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Wise, as always, Pete, particularly with Fred, uh, noting approval for Michelle Hurd's performance of Raffi's performance. Raffi, of course, needs to prop herself up to make that uh, call to Captain Emmy. Yeah, I particularly enjoy the nuance that a performer we had covered before with Daredevil. She was in the second season uh, as a district attorney. And here as somebody who has this longstanding connection with Picard, somebody we'd not seen before and what she's able to imbue to this role. Uh, Fred also, I think very wisely asks the, the question brings up the topic. Will, with the hiding of the spatial trajector, will it be used again this season? Your thoughts? It's, I mean, it, it allows an opportunity for anybody on the board cube to be magically whisked away without the use of the La Serena, which is now going to be headed towards Nepenthe. So you can't pick them up, you send them off. I thought that the episode had explained uh, the knowledge of the queen cell because oh they all borg remember it now that they see it but i think the fred does ask a good question how did fred uh, how did fred how did hugh know about the queen cell was it through research uh, was it something a memory he uh, accessed where picard had yet to access it until he arrived well, uh, how both about that? of them had been severed from the collective by the time that it was assimilated so they would not have had it latent uh it's got to be through hugh's research right well although i think picard seems to remember it when he got there so maybe the notion of a queen cell is an older one and the the use of the projector in there is newer i think the story is playing in a gray area that is not I don't think Fred was saying, you know, criticism bad that they, you know, bad at how this was explained or that this existed. But I think, I think the show's cheating a little bit by saying, oh, it kind of sort of because Borg. Uh, lastly, Pete, and I'll kind of reframe uh, Fred's reflection on Narek and Narissa into something I saw, a question I saw online. Does Narek love Soji enough to betray his sister in coming episodes? I think we've adequately sown uh, the motivation within him. He is bonded with her uh, to the point where he sees her as a person, uh, as an entity, not as the robot, not as the it that uh, his sister refers to her as. Well, bonded to us, thankfully, are those who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and help support the podcast, making sure that our spatial trajector can get each episode out, even 40,000 light years and beyond. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels from there. So important in helping us to do what we do. Takes just a dollar a month to get you into that door for all the exclusive goodies. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Takes a second 
leave us a review a little longer but usually enters you into some kind of raffle that we have going on have another one starting soon all sorts of goodies on the Patreon website. But Pete, there's one thing that's always free that's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-R-11,209. Followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the p and the h like it today well pete we are recording this of course on february 29th that means tomorrow is march that means tomorrow is the month star trek picard season one comes to an end yeah there's four more episodes but the end is nigh i don't know what i'm going to do with myself i mean probably we'll go on and continue to podcast marvel stuff and get ready for discovery and of course we have falcon and the winter soldier in the late summer and mandalorian and wandavision in the fall but pete star trek picard season one uh the final month starts tomorrow you know on that sad note in these you know non-star trek times where where strife exists like star trek picard coming to an end i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word if you don't have to be at work right away why not lie down Thank you.